Hello everybody, welcome to another Big Game Indicating Dogs Q&A. If you want to find out more about the Deer Dog Training Blueprint, you can do that at biggameindicatingdogs.com and you can also check out Big Game Indicating Dogs on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. Heaps of stuff there. Let's get into the Q&A. So the first question is from Brian. Hey Paul, my question is, if you have an older dog, eight years old, who has done a bit of the blueprint, but started at the age of three, has not done the full series, has a few bad habits, can they still be trained to find deer or is it better to get a new pup and start from scratch? So my notes on this are, it's a very broad question, it really is, because it's really subjective. Uh, if you have an older dog that's done a bit of the blueprint, but hasn't done the full series, has a few bad habits, can they still be trained on deer? 100% yes. So that's the first answer to that. There's a lot of questions in there. Um, and there's a couple of really big subjective ones. As far as can you train an older dog to be a good deer dog, the answer is 100% yes, and, and loads of people have done it with the deer dog training blueprint and got gotten really good results. Um, has a few bad habits, in my experience, has, has not done the full series and has a few bad habits from my experience dealing with a lot of people and a lot of different dogs, can be anywhere from an awesome dog that just needs a little bit more training and some good handling through to completely, totally nuts out the gate, crazy, crazy, serious, serious bad problems uh, and is going to be very, very difficult. So when I say subjective... That I've I've literally I've had oh I've done a bit of training with the dog and he's pretty good he's just got a couple of bad habits and it's like one of the most and and then I work with the dog and it's one of the most difficult dogs that I've ever met with the most serious bad problems that I've ever seen. <laughs> so, without me seeing the dog and working with it and knowing exactly what's going on, it's a very difficult question for me to answer. That's why my first note is this is a very broad question. Um, but I can throw a heap of stuff at you and hopefully you can uh, make some decisions based on that and obviously lots of other people can learn from it as well. Um, or is it better to get a new pup and start from scratch? Again... See, my next note is, so my, here's my notes. First, very broad question. You can definitely, second note, you can definitely train an older dog to be a very good deer dog, and we've had loads of people do it. As far as should you, uh, can I still train this dog, or is it better to get a new pup? It depends what the bad habits are and how bad they are. It also depends on how good a dog you want, how much time you have, how serious you are about it, how bad this dog is, what you're really after. So it's really subjective because sometimes we get the question, hey, 
I've got this older dog. He does have a few bad habits, but he's pretty freaking good. Um, I don't care if he's not like the best, you know, star elite deer dog in the world, but it would be awesome if I could train him to the point where I can take him hunting. He's not going to detract from the hunt and he's going to add to the hunt. And then the answer to that question is, and, and, and I don't want to get another pup at the moment anyway, is it a waste of time trying to train my older dog that's not actually that bad? And the answer to that is definitely not. It's not a waste of time. And we've had loads of people work, use the blueprint on older dogs to really good effect and the older dog that they were like, oh, it would just be cool if I could take my older dog hunting with me turns into actually quite a weapon and turns into actually a really freaking good dog. Um, but again, it depends on what the bad habits are and how bad they are. Um, and then another note is... Um, Depending on what you want to do, how bad the dog is, starting from a pup may be the best option, but it's very subjective. So if you've got to the point where you're sort of one foot in, one foot out with the dog, like in my experience, once people start to question it and they're like, oh yeah, you know, I was actually thinking about getting another dog and training that, and this older dog, he's sort of cool, but he's got these issues, I'm not, and and I'm not that stoked on it, I'm wondering, if it's, it's sort of like having been in a relationship and getting to the point whether you should break up or not, and you're starting to think, man, I wonder if I should break up with this person or not, it's not, once you're at that point, um, it's probably not a great analogy, but you know what I mean, It's it's a sketchy place to be, if you're starting to second guess it and you're one foot in, one foot out, like you've got to get serious at that point and really work out what you're going to do with that dog. Um, and in my experience with dogs, most of the time when someone gets to the point where they're second guessing it and, you know, is I don't know if this dog's going to be a good dog and... I, I might get another dog, I might rehome it, or I might keep it and get another pup. Um, you can come back from that. Um, you know, I was in some pretty dicey territory with Miko for a while there, and that is along those lines. And um, she's going really bloody well now, and I really like her. Um, but, geez, it was some time. You know, it was some time. That's all it really was with her, it was time. Um, and no mistakes, you know, like, so this dog's eight years old, has done a bit of the blueprint, started at the age of three, so has done a bit of the blueprint, so I don't know if that means a bit of it, probably means you haven't finished it, so if you haven't finished the blueprint in five years, <laughs> And the dog has a few bad habits. I don't know. Um, should you start off with another pup? An another thought that's coming to mind here is um, maybe maybe you should try to get your shit together with this dog properly before you start with another pup. 
you know. Um, but then th- this dog might have had some um, bad habits. You started this dog at the age of three on the blueprint. If it had some really bad habits that you've never been able to quite get on top of, which can be a thing. I've seen I've seen dogs that are one year year old, two years old, and I know no matter what I do with that dog, because it's got these pretty these really serious, deep ingrained bad habits, just because it's been um, set up to fail, and our principle of exposing weakness, the person's just put that dog in a situation where it's been able to do something that it shouldn't have been in a put in that situation where it was able to do that and now the dog has experienced that experience and it knows it can do it and it's always going to be there and you're always going to be just trying to manage that freaking situation. I can look at some dogs and go, it doesn't matter what I do with that dog, it is never going to be the same thing as something like print who was trained right from a pup, everything done properly, and he's never had any massive mistakes. Um, in that case, you're better off to start. And, and if you want that dog that you're not constantly managing and it's just really freaking good and a joy to hunt over, and a dog that you've got has got bad habits, then and, and you want to get serious and seriously train a really good dog, then by all means, I think you should start as a from a pup. Um, and there is such a thing of as I just explained, an older dog that has bad habits and is never going to be as good as a pup that you worked with properly right from the start. Um, but then again, sometimes it's amazing what you can un- unravel and unwind and get a dog that had bad habits that wasn't going well um, and eventually they're going pretty freaking well too so again really broad question really subjective um, so I've just sort of <laughs> gone with the shotgun method on that and just throwing a bunch of ideas out there um, another question from Brian I'd love to know how you plan a hunt in a new area my note on this is that's a huge question and I talked about that a lot in a recent hunting podcast that I did. Um, I did a couple of podcasts. Um, I'm just bringing it up here. What they're called. Um, just searching my own podcast on Spotify. Um, where are we here? Yeah, see, hunting podcast essential skills. So this is the Paul John Michael. Oh no, sorry, on Spotify. I don't know why. Everywhere else, my podcast is called the Paul John Michaels podcast, but Spotify has done some weird thing and they've like abbreviated my title in their title. It's weird, and it's just called Paul Michaels podcast. I've got to look into it, but um. I think it's some auto thing that um, Spotify's done. Um, But I did those couple of podcasts there. Um, I can't remember which one it is. 
I did three solo hunting podcasts. Um, hunting podcasts, how to choose how to choose hunting spots. That's actually what the title of one is. Um, and I get I do a big rant on exactly that. Um, how do you plan a hunt in a new area? And like most podcasts, um, it goes all over the place. But I I hammer that subject out. Um, real hard there, including talking about the um, how I e-scout and use whams and heaps of stuff. But hunting podcast, how to choose hunting spots. There's literally a podcast there called that. And me and Ben also did one um, a while ago. Where's that? Uh one of our most listened to podcasts, ironically enough, um, how to find hunting spots. Because that's what all you buggers want. <laughs> Where's your spot? What's a good spot? Where do I, how do I find a good spot? Um, and in both of those podcasts, you know, we, we go over the real story on all of that sort of stuff. It's probably not what a lot of, what, a lot of people that are clicking on that title want to hear because it involves a lot of hard work and learning for yourself. But at the end of the day, that's um, that's really where it's at. Um, yeah, so check that out, Brian. Um, and remember, on any of this stuff, I always say this, but particularly if you've got the blueprint and you're in the inner circle and I do an answer like that and I miss something out or you can give me another bit of information, throw it in a comment, send it in a message and I'll... I'll Hit it again. Um, Imogen, hi Paul, my question is both my partner and I are keen to, just checking my recording here, are keen to have the dog respond to both of us. Both my partner and I are keen to have the dog respond to both of us. My partner is wanting to train him for the hunting side of things and I want a good family dog with hunting ability also just wondering how we do this and not confuse the dog moving forward thanks so my notes on this this is super easy and loads of couples do it with the blueprint just train the dog and both follow the blueprint and the dog will respond well to both of you the blueprint works great for this because it gives you both the same system to follow so you can both do the same stuff and both be consistent. And it really does work well for that. You know what I'm saying? Like instead of making stuff up as you go along and getting a bit of one thing from one person, another thing from over there and making it up as you go along, you can couples and households and people do it with their kids and partners and all sorts you can all sit, everyone that's going to have a hand in that dog, going to be spending time with that dog and training that dog, you can all sit down, all watch the same thing, all use the same command. You can all just use the blueprint. That's the thing. A, a dog can have multiple masters. Um, it's just important that everyone does the same thing. Um, and the dog will listen to everyone, you know, if you all do the same stuff and all have the same commands and all work with the dog, so the dog's used to listening to you and that, um, 
a million percent you can have multiple masters to a dog. We have couples that have done it and um, one weekend they both go hunting together with the dog and then another weekend, um, you know, the one one of them got, takes the dog hunting and hunts over it and the dog hunts for them and listens to them and then the next weekend the other one takes the dog hunting and the dog hunts for them and listens to them. We've got lo- actually quite a few people that that, have, that do that. Um, and uh, so, like I said, super easy and loads of people do that with the blueprint and, it, and the blueprint's good for it because it gives you both the same system to follow. So you can do the same stuff and be consistent. Um, some further notes on this, really important. You both have to do it properly, though, for the dog to respond well to you both. It's common for a dog to respond better to the to the person that does more training or to the person that is more firm and consistent. It's really common to get a question along the lines of this. Um, sort of, hi Paul, me and my partner both train our dog, but the dog listens better to my partner than me. I do tend to be softer with the dog and let the dog get away with more than my partner does. I'm wondering how I fix this. <laughs> like, literally get that. And it's funny how often people give the exact answer to their question in the question. Um me and my partner both train our dog, but the dog listens better to my partner than me. I do tend to be softer and let the dog get away with more than my partner does. I'm wondering how I fix this. You stop being softer with the dog and letting the dog get away with more than your partner does. If, if what your partner's doing is working and what you're doing isn't, then do what your partner does and it'll probably work. Um... So that's the the my big sort of caveat to that is um, you've, if you if you want it to work well for both of you, you've both got to do it properly, and you do have to be firm and consistent with dogs. You can't be wishy washy and soft and let them get away with stuff. Um, but I mean, that's all in the blueprint anyway. You know, it's just a. Uh, just a reminder that you've got to do it properly for it to work, basically. Um, Ian, hi Paul, first off, thanks for the blueprint, it's an awesome bit of work, thanks Ian. Um, my, here's the question, my 11 month old GSP is progressing well through it and we're up to the start of part 10, Everything is going well. The dog is steady on pretty much everything. I've been a bit late starting with with the rifle as I couldn't get hold of a 22. Anyway, I got to the point where she's fine at sitting at 20 metres shooting away from her. When I started shooting at a right angle at 50 metres, most of the time she's fine, but every now and again she's not and she stands up and starts to walk away. She'll stop if I shout but then she just refuses to sit unless I call her to me. Then if we walk to a different position and start again, she's fine. Until randomly she decides to do it again. Help, I really don't want to stuff this bit up. So my first note on this is pegging her to the spot. 
I show you how to do that in the Dear Dog Training Blueprint um, with increasing distraction on the stop. And if you do get into that situation, I think I'm sure I talk about it, how this is actually a really good solution for a few niggly things like this. Um, if you've done all your homework and your background and your, your training properly, you've gone through all of the steps, you know, of a proper system like the blueprint with lots of little steps all done properly, all in the right order and you do everything correctly, bang on, and the dog does it in certain situations and then it just starts to get up and walk off. Um, in a lot of ways, you're really setting the dog up to fail because you're putting it on a stop. You're moving back into a position where you can't do anything about it. And some dogs, you know, there's a lot of reading and timing and dog training, and that's this sort of a micro aspect of that and a macro aspect of that the micro would be reading and timing as far as when you're right up close to the dog and when the dog looks like it's about to get up if you read it properly and get your timing right and uh, cut the dog off and sit it down and you get all your reading and timing correct even of releasing pressure and in the application of praise if you get all your reading and timing correct in that you're good the macro zoom out reading and timing and dog training is like the big moves when do I when am I ready to move on to a different stage of uh, gunfire training or skin work or letting the dog off the long line or um, in retriever training when when is this dog ready uh, to do a blind or a, to, ready to go to a a whole dead bird thrown in, in a gnarly spot in the river or something like that because you can move too fast and you can move too slow too. That whole thing there <laughs> is, and like experienced dog trainers will be will be like laughing and nodding their head because when the dog's ready and what to do and reading that, reading and timing of of that overall macro reading and timing of when you should take these big steps and the timing of progressing training in that is um it's huge man but sometimes there's no real way of getting it right and sometimes you reach sticking points you really freaking do um and I could go on, I could go on and on down the rabbit hole with this and and that's actually a huge, huge part of what makes up what dog people would call a good dog or a difficult dog, or if you wanted to be more blunt, a shit dog. <laughs> a, a good dog, a really good dog, when you do your part right as a trainer, they come on and they get ready and you move on to the next step and they step up to the challenge and you just keep moving through. A difficult dog, or what a blunt person would call a shit dog, you do your part <laughs> all correctly and put all the work in and time and effort and do everything right and the dog just keeps not stepping up to the challenge or getting up off a stop or and you're just going, man, I've worked with better dogs than this. That's all bullshit aside. That's the difference, really. You know, is, is when... You could have put another dog in that position and it would have done a great job. 
and you're putting that dog in that position and it ain't. <laughs> um, and and even great dog, there's no dog that won't reach a sticking point somewhere with something, okay, to be really fair, and it's really important. It's, it's a really important point in that too. And to not get frustrated and blame the dog and it's a shit dog. Um, all dogs will reach a sticking point somewhere with something. You know, Prince got a couple. And that's when things like pegging to the spot is really bloody handy. And you're basically, so you're saying you've done all your shooting, you've done a lot of training, you said it's taken you a while to get a rifle, um, so you haven't rushed it. And... Um, you, in the blueprint, we do a very sort of systemized setup of of uh, introduction to gunfire with clappers and starting at a distance and moving closer, then gunfire from a distance and moving closer and shooting at different angles. And it's done over weeks and weeks and weeks um, to basically incrementally introduce a dog to and get the gunfire louder and louder and closer and closer without screwing the dog up and making the dog scared of the gun. Um, and you're saying when you're shooting at a right angle, most you, when you shoot away, she's fine, and you shoot at a right angle, most of the time she's fine. But every now and again she's not, and she stands up and starts to walk away. If I shout, she stops but then she just refuses to sit unless I call her to me. Then we walk to a different position and start again, and she's fine until randomly she decides to do it again. That sort of thing. When a dog goes from one minute, it's fine. Then next minute they clam up and they go funny and slowly walk away and they're all cringy and stuff. like Dogs just get silly about some things. You know, um, and in those situations, I've worked with um, dogs that are really freaking gun shy, <laughs> and it's fun. dogs are funny with some things, you know. And I mean, people are too. But um, I've seen dogs be really silly and weird, and and it's like it's it's a little bit of. Um, they're being a little bit neurotic about it. It doesn't quite make sense. They go backwards and forwards, and sometimes they even get into a situation where they want to do the thing, but they've got some weird little mechanism in their head that's screwing them up, and they keep doing the wrong thing. Sometimes you can't, in a hundred percent, you can do this, man. And I've seen it over and over where someone says. Um, and I've done it myself over and over too. Someone says, the dog knows what to do, it knows what it's meant to be doing, and every now and again it just decides and he's just the dog's just been a prick. And the dog doesn't, man, and the dog literally thinks it's not meant to be. At some time it went to get up and you growled at it and the timing was off or even the timing was good, your timing was good, but the dogs linked one thing with the the wrong thing with the wrong thing and got its wires a bit crossed. And there's some body movement thing that you do or something with the X amount of shots or when you step away or step closer or do something, the dog thinks, oh, I'm, I'm going to, I get in trouble at this point. 
and I'm not meant to sit here and they don't know what to do and they get all weird and clammed up. It's really freaking common, man. And th weird things like this, um, sometimes it's almost impossible to pin it down to exactly what it was, but it can even be that the dog wants to do it, um, but they don't think they can or they don't think they're allowed or they think they don't know that they can do it and it be okay. Um, and that's when you've really got to step in and help them out and show them that they can do it and that it is okay, you know. And that's really, that's a huge part of what good dog training is and good techniques and practices with things like long lines and things like that. And pegging a dog to a spot when the dog's clamming up, getting up off a stop, um, you know, if a dog's really struggling with some obstacle freaking thing or something like that, it doesn't want to walk across ankle-deep water and it's just been silly, you just get a long line and pull it across the creek. And and when it gets to the other side, you give it a big pat. And so often you feel harsh doing that. It's like the dog doesn't want to go into water and I'm pulling it into water. Um, but so often the dog doesn't want to be in that weird, clammed up, scared state. It actually wants to work this shit out and do do this with you. And and so with this gunfire thing, that dog that keeps clamming up and getting up after the stop and then you move and then it's okay and then it clams up again, um, if you peg it to the spot so it can't get up, because sometimes you get in a difficult situation where you're just stuck and you, if the dog's weird with the gunfire um, and it's okay shooting away, you don't want to all of a sudden go closer and shoot right next to it. And it's also got to be good at staying still while you're shooting while you're away from it too. So once it starts getting up off that stop at a distance, you're sort of stuck. You need, And that's, that again, this is where the peg comes in. Same as dis, um, increasing distraction on the stop, and that's what the peg is. Um. And I sh we show you that in the blueprint, increasing distraction on the stop. If you get a dog that for whatever reason has done all of the increasing the distraction on the stop properly all the way through, it's always done it, everything going good, and then it just starts getting up. And there's nothing you can do about it because the whole thing of increasing distraction on the stop and you getting further and further away is that you are further away now, so you can't step on the long line or step in and um, stop, physically stop the dog. Uh, so you just tie a loop in the long line and get a fence standard and when you do the stop, you tell the dog to sit, stay there and you stab that peg into the ground through the loop. So now the dog's tied to the spot and then you walk away and you do your stop drill. And if the dog does try to get up, it just sort of awkwardly gets stopped because it's on the lead that's pegged to the ground right next to it. So it can't start moving. That really helps because that proximity thing, like if a dog gets up off a stop, can travel a metre, you've got to put it right back where it started. Otherwise, that dog's forming the habit of getting up off the stop and moving. And then you can move back and it'll move another metre and another metre. If you just stop it and let it stop where it moved to and the dog hit, dog's head, it's winning every time. Or it, it's... 
I don't think the dog even thinks about it as winning, but the dog, it's just like, oh, I'll do, then it can move again, it can move again, it can move again. There's something very powerful about putting the dog back right on the freaking spot that it started on. So pegging the dog to the spot, and then if it's short, there's a timing aspect of it too. As soon as the dog thinks about it and starts to move, the long line stops them. And... Um, and then, again, remember with all of the stuff, anytime we're using a technique like this or put pressure, putting pressure on a dog, giving a dog command disapproval when it's doing something wrong, um, we're always flipping from the pressure to praise as quickly as possible. So in this scenario, with the dog getting up off a stop when you're firing a gun, when you're at a distance... There's not much you can do. There's nothing you can do to stop that. And that's the whole idea of the peg. You know, it's so if you do the peg, then the dog can't get up off the spot. And you can go through a few repetitions um, without the dog moving. And you can do two or three until. And, and the thing is here is even if the dog's pegged there, if the dog tries to get up off the spot but can't, put the gun down, walk out, and it's sort of awkwardly standing there trying to move, it's not in a proper sit anymore, put it back in the right spot, sit it there, get it sitting comfortably, give it a pat, say stay there, move back away, pick up the gun and fire another shot. And with that peg, with the dog peg there, once it knows it can't move, it's not going to bother to try. And, and as soon as you get that dog into a spot where it's pegged, but it's not getting up and hitting the end of that long line, and you do two or three um, repetitions of that without the dog getting up and moving, that's a huge win. And now you, you are forming the pattern in the dog's head of just sitting still while you do the shooting. And if you've got into a situation with the dog where you're struggling with something like that, um, as soon as you start to get a repetition of the dog not getting up and hitting the end of the long line when you fire the shot, don't keep firing shots until the dog gets up and pulls on the long line. Um, less is always more. And if you're in a situation like that, the more times you can go out Get the dog to sit, fire one, even one shot, fire one shot, then release the dog from the stop, give it a good pat, praise, release all the pressure, everything's all good. That's the best thing you can do in that situation. Remember, you never test. So if a dog's doing something like that, don't fire one shot and then think, oh, wonder if I could fire another one. wonder if it'll get up then. And then so you fire two and the dog doesn't try to get up. And then you're like, I wonder if I can fire three. And you fire three, the third one and then the dog gets up. You've just lost. You've just taken a massive steps back. Um, which is another important note here. Uh, and back to that macro reading and timing. Um, if you get a dog doing something like that, like shoot, shooting around it and all of these drills, and it does it like 
you do five drills a session and you do two sessions a day and you do that for like two weeks so it's done it 50 times, How you, you can overdo it and you can get a dog to the point where it's like, well, what are we even doing here? And they start to get weirded out and start to try stuff. And they're like, well, I keep sitting dead still while this guy's doing the shooting and he keeps bringing me out and doing it over and over again. So what the hell am I meant to do? And they'll start trying stuff and get up off and then get up off the stop when you fire the shot and then you growl it and then the whole drill starts to get weird and then you start to get to the point where when you sit the dog down and step back with the gun because the dog got growled at last time, now they start to clam up and want to get up off the stop. So you can have these weird breakdowns in communication and the dog can get confused and um, something like the peg, pegging the dog to the spot, firing one shot without the dog moving, relaxed tone from you, relaxed body language, go over to the dog, pull the peg out, give it a pat, step back, wait, release it off the stop, and then while it's walking, while you're walking off, just stop for no reason, call the dog back to you, give it a big pat, good dog, and then just like walk super relaxed for a while and give it another pat like two minutes later. The more repetitions you can get once a dog starts to get clammed up in something like that, the more times you can lead the dog through that situation, even one repetition, one shot, without the dog stuffing it up, and then you release all the pressure, release the dog, and carry on, the dog's learning like I can, we can just do this quickly without fuss, without me being weird about it, and it's done, and we carry on and it's all good. That's when they really start, that's when you get the dog that for some stupid reason gets up off the shot like this or doesn't want to walk through ankle deep water and that dog that doesn't want to walk through water and you you pull it through with the long line, and it's all awkward and silly, and you know hops in and runs to the other side and jumps out, and you give it a pat, and then you pull it back through again, and it runs across the other, and then you go to walk through, and it just walks through. And I've I've spoken about this before, and you have these little breakthrough moments of something silly with a dog, with something like that, and you see them realize like you can actually see them; they'll be all tense mouth closed in that and then you're patting them and they'll and they'll start panting and it's like a person like realizing like there's no danger here they're all good you can see them like starting to oh like breathe <laughs> and they, you can they almost have this moment where they're like you know what was i being silly about and there is these moments in dog training where you do sometimes have to put pressure on. If a dog's trying to get up off a stop when all you're gonna doing is trying to shoot in the other direction. And let's remember, when we're training a hunting dog, we're training them to do a dog's favourite thing to do. <laughs> you know, 
um, this dog, our whole purpose with this dog is to train it to do like their favorite freaking thing. So we're actually trying to do them. We're actually doing them a massive favor here. And we're trying to set them up so they can come hunting with us and have a great time. And they absolutely love it, you know. So remember when we're doing all the stuff we're doing, the dog a huge favor. And, um, uh, sometimes it takes a little bit of pressure um, to help the dog to realise that it can do something that it actually really wants to do. Um, but yeah, so pegging, pegging you to the spot, um, another big note here is make sure your stop is good in the absence of the gun, that's, obviously huge um, if your stop isn't solid you know and in the blueprint we go through all of that increasing distraction on the stop and I've got other dogs barking around printing I'm throwing stuff around and shooting the gun and all of that and his stop's solid and it's solid in the absence of the gun and when I add the gun it's still good there too but if it's not really good in the absence of the gun then I'm, I'm not at the point where I should be adding the gun so that's really important um, remember our principle of taking a step back in training so if you've done the clapper work the 22 all of that um, be prepared to take a step back and even if it's for a couple of weeks or something and just to let all if it's getting squirrely and the dog's getting up and you're given command of disapproval and bringing it back and everything's starting to get messy remember the first thing to do is take a step back to wherever you were when everything was going sweet still and then work your way forward from there. Another note, but pegging her to the spot is really good here. Don't let her be silly. Don't let the habit form and nip it in the bud. And like I just had the whole rant there, um, that whole thing of dogs just getting silly about something and us just stepping in properly using good techniques and just showing them like there's nothing to be scared of here. We can just do this and move on and it's fine. Um really freaking important, really common, and it doesn't matter how good a dog is or how good your training is, you have to do that somewhere with every dog, often more than once. They just, And that's just us helping the dog out. Um, and pegging you to the spot's really good for this. And in the blueprint, that is an increasing distraction on the stop, wherever it is. It's all laid out in the on the website well enough that you can just scroll through and find that pretty easily um, another note make her do it properly and then be upbeat and light and encouraging when she does it right so that's that whole bit that I explained about like if something like this getting really squirrely like be a like cut it off at the pass assertively with command of disapproval, the long line, a technique like pegging you to the spot. Just don't let it even start. Cut it off properly and quickly and move on, you know. And the thing is about that, as soon as you sort it properly, quickly, and you move on, you're back to like, good girl. And it's, and it's sweet. 
Like it's it's really important whenever you can. I know that's easier said than done. Um, but make her do it properly and then be light and upbeat and encouraging when she does it right. Um, and my final note, pressure on what you don't want, praise on what you do want. It's just if she's getting up, like you say, she she and and you've it sounds like you've basically done everything perfectly here except you didn't start using the peg. Because um, you said a yell from me would make her stop. She wouldn't sit. I'd have to call her back to me. Then she'd sit. Um, but I guess the main thing here is like praise when the dog does it right is really freaking important too. It's it's the two are just as important as each other. Pressure and praise. You can't do it all with praise. You definitely can't do it all with pressure. Pressure is always the minimum amount required to get the job done and you're trying to use the pressure, minimum amount of pressure, so you can reach the correct resolution in the situation so you can flip straight to praise. So you're basically using pressure to get the dog to do the right thing so you can praise them for doing the right thing so then they know, oh, well, that's the right thing and it's positive when I do that, so I'll just do that, you know. Um Hope that answers that question somewhere in there. Uh, Matt, hi Paul, my girl Hunter, three-quarter lab, quarter GSP, one and a half years old, has been following the blueprint since three months old and doing pretty well. She's recently developed a bad habit while on a lead or long line of getting really excited towards any dog she eyeballs and becomes aggressive towards any dog she doesn't know. Uh, she growls, barks, jumps up and tries to bite, sometimes while on a lead or long line. Any dog she doesn't know, she tries to dominate. If I let her off the lead, she challenges any dog and dominates until she is on top. People are now avoiding us while out walking and it's becoming a real problem. She especially hates small dogs and wants to go them. I try to stay calm while giving the command of disapproval and walk away, but it seems to have no effect. Okay, this question is still going, but I'm going to jump ahead there. I try to stay calm while giving command of disapproval and walk away, but it seems to have no effect. So if my dog's just like showing a little bit of interest in another dog and just looking and starting to lose focus on me and go out of range and start to, and it's just like being a bit of a dork, then I'll just give a calm command of disapproval and walk away. If my dogs, the here, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna have to loop right back around here. But my final note on this question is what I do when one of my dogs shows aggression around me, and this is interesting because I don't know if I've talked about this before because I definitely a million percent do not specialize in aggression. Uh, I've had a couple of my dogs have a bit of a scrap here or there. I, I have. Um, like really out of the blue. And and actually, let me... Th I'm just thinking about this. I've never had my... The only time dogs that I have owned and trained myself have had a fight has always been when I'm not there. Um, Fly had a had a bit of a fight back in the day. Um, there was a dog that uh, I was, 
it started off as someone else's dog that I was doing some work with, but then I ended up taking the dog on. I can't remember how it worked. I took the dog on and found it a new home and, or something like that. I don't do that anymore. Don't ask me, don't like message me telling me about some dog you've got that you <laughs> need some work in the new home. But I don't do that anymore. But um, Fly just hated this freaking dog. And I saw her lining this dog up a couple of times. And um, But what do I do? And, and when I was away one day, um, Fly just attacked this dog. And they had a pretty sort of decent fight. Um, they both had a bit of bleeding around the ears and stuff. Um, <clears throat> but And like Fly does, n- does not put up with any shit like if a younger dog um turned up and is running around and banging into everyone and jumps up on her and all she's gonna put it in its place real quick real quick but around with omnia it's only ever gonna be like a bark and a snap like a rap if a pup is being silly around her um but sometimes when i wasn't there and that basically in the absence of a strong leader she would really arc up and basically try to take over. She was quite a dominant sort of a little dog, actually. She was a bit of a little psycho. Um, but man, if a dog—that's if a dog shows aggression around me, that is the only time I will completely flip out to, and to add another do, add a dog or one of my dogs. If a dog. That's the only time I'll like scream and like charge at the dog and just flip out like I really will. And uh, as when dogs are getting aggressive, like if a do- like when I'm training a stop or any, that's the only time in training any other stuff, I'll never scream. I'll never hey. But if I see a couple of dogs and they start lip curling. And um, and then it goes to arc up, and they're starting this fight. I'll just scream, bye! Like it's a scream, and I'm stomping in. If I've got that dog on a long line, it's getting a serious freaking check, and I'm screaming and charging in at them, and. And I don't stop either. If they stop, I'll I'll carry on. I'll just be like, cut that out, get the hell out. I make a huge, a huge deal out of it. Uh, like if it's real aggression, man, like real aggression, it's that is the one. Whether it's dog on dog aggression, human aggression, in it, that's the one time where I'll just flip out. But I, I use good timing. I do the right thing. I don't, you know. But as as far as I'll scream really freaking loud and make a hell of a deal out of it. Um, and I'll even do that. Um, I've had it a number of times, you know. But my dogs basically go any everywhere with me, so everywhere I go. Generally, I've got if I go for a walk in the park or I'm like on the road somewhere, and the amount of times I've I'm walking around with my dogs and they're under good control off leash, so they're often just 
off leash, just cruising around public areas and that. Um, I've had it a number of times dogs come up, and I can see that this that this other dog is like the, like instantly the dog's coming up all hackled up, all stiff, marching up, and I'm like, man, this if in the right situ- wrong situation, this could be a fight real quick. Um, the second I see that dog, um, you know, they come up all stiff and full on and they'll often put their head over the back of the dog they're trying to dominate and a a sort of well-balanced dog won't overreact. You know, Prince or Miko won't, Prince pretty cruisy. He's actually real cruisy. Like if a dog comes and puts its head over the back of print and that, he'll just sort of step away. And just, But if, if the other dog gets too full on, he will have a snap. Miko's real snappy. She's not interested in any bullshit whatsoever. Um, Fly was like that too, real snappy. The minute a dog snaps, does that, Rah! and the other dog starts, I'm just screaming at them and charging at them. Um, and it cuts them off, man. Like if, if for a dog, when someone does that, I'm talking just the loudest you can yell. Hey, <laughs> I do that. <laughs> I do that. Um, I'm just like, hey, and while I'm just charging in for a dog to not snap out of it and, like, turn to you, and they're just like, whoa. Um, for the, for a dog just to keep fighting and, like, to hook in and go into a full-on fight at that point, there's nothing you can do. Um, but in my experience, um, In a situation like you're in, you're saying you've got a dog that's usually pretty good most of the time, um, but it's starting to get into quite a big problem and the dog's starting to get pretty full on. Um, if you do that, but that's what I do. That's what I do because I've seen real dog fights and I know how fast they can happen. Um, I'll never let my dogs even remotely even think about it when I'm around and they know that and that's why I've never had an issue with any of my dogs um, and with other dogs coming in I've seen enough dog fights to know how qu- and, and if a dog's coming in all stiffened up like that um, it's either a really weird dog that does that every time but never starts a proper fight or it's thinking about starting a fight. Um, and it can go from them being all stiff, head over the other dog's back, your dog snaps once for it and, and that dog's just into it. And dog fights turn into vet bulls real quick. Um, it can get, I've seen it get really serious real quick. Your do, you, you know, your dog loses an eye, gets its face ripped open. Um, and even worse, um like what Matt goes on to say here, uh, any of that aggressive other dogs coming in, dominating them, snapping at them, pushing them over so they're on their back or cowering and that, um, 
that can cause your dog to be aggressive too. So other dogs coming in being weird to my dogs can cause my dogs to get aggressive. So in other, and, and it's ridiculous, it really is, how uh, blasé and, and naive and ignorant some people are about that. In Papamoa here, there's a couple of local dogs and local people that they walk their dogs every day in the dunes and every single dog their dogs encounters, it walks up to them all staunched out. There's this little one, it's like a little, uh, some sort of little terrier thing, um, little handbag terrier thing, you know, and um, it does it, it basically does it to every dog it meets. It tears up to them, gets all up in their face, all stiff, and then just like hooks in, rah, and the only reason that that hasn't been a huge issue is because the dog's tiny, so it, it can only do so much damage, you know. Um, but, and the person's just like, oh, you know, he's only, um, he's all bite, or he's all bark, no bite or something, um, and you get it quite a bit, you know, and other people's dogs coming up, dominating the hell out of your dog, and the person's just walking along, like texting on their phone, and they sort of look up and see their dog doing it, and they just look back to their phone and just keep walking. <laughs> really common. And um, that can cause serious, serious issues. Now, it's not only an issue for their dog, but that can cause issues in the person's dog that their dog's doing it to. So Matt goes on to say... Um, People are now avoiding us while we're out walking and it's becoming a real problem. She especially hates small dogs and wants to go them. I try to stay calm while giving a command of disapproval and walking away and it's having no effect. Um, like I say, that's why I wanted to go over that whole thing there. The last thing I do when... My, if, my, if you're talking proper aggression... I'm not giving a calm command of disapproval and walking away, man. It's a it's a big deal. Um and that that hey that's what I do to other people's dogs when they try to do it to my dogs. And I've had people like go, Oh, she's he's only joking, or he or <clears throat> the person with people with the little dogs love to say, um, Oh, he thinks he's a big dog. And it's like, well, lucky he's not <laughs> um matt goes on to say i recently had her fixed after her first heat 14 months old and wonder if that may have had an effect on her behavior i doubt it i doubt it and then he goes on to say or do you think she's just possessive of me i doubt it to be honest or does she feel threatened while on the leash or long line? Maybe, but I doubt it too. I think it's all... Yeah, I wouldn't try to attribute dog aggression to like a, a, a small external additive that's causing it, like getting the dog fixed or um, possessive of you, or it's because she's threatened on the leash... It's your dog's getting aggressive. Don't 
try and link it, you know what I mean? It's not getting fixed. It's not because of you, possessive of you. It's not a leash or long line. It's just your dog is being aggressive. Forget all that other shit, you know? He goes on to say, all this bad behaviour seems to happen around the street entrance to our house and within 500 metre radius of our home, which is her daily walking slash training area. So it's just become a habit, man. If, if you're saying 500 radius radius of your home is your walking training area and that's your daily walking, it's just a, it's just a habit. It's becoming a habit and it's obviously getting worse. He goes on to say, she doesn't show as much of this behaviour if we visit some of the other dog parks or beaches when she's mixing with other dogs on freedom sessions, but still likes to dominate. So your, your dog's showing aggression, you're giving it freedom sessions at dog parks, and, and it's dominating other dogs. So stop. I'd stop all of that. I don't let my dogs go. Be, if my if my dogs start to do that whole stiffen up, heckle up, head over the other dog stuff, they're getting the not the hey, not the scream, but they're getting a serious like cut that out. To be honest, I never, I don't eat really. My dogs don't really die. Oh, maybe a little bit. <coughs> it's actually not true. They do do it. But it's very, very superficial. It only lasts like 30 seconds. Where Print will be all hackled up and sort of walk. He's not getting his, his head over the other dogs or getting his paws up on them and stuff. When he meets a new dog, he's often all hackled up, just sort of standing there. And But it, like I say, it literally usually lasts about 30 seconds, turns to tail wagging, and then they're all playing, you know, which that's just normal dog stuff. Um, if he escalated anything past that, I'd be stepping in very assertively. So here's a big kicker here, real big kicker, and it goes back to what I was going on about before. As a pup, she did have a few bad encounters with small, aggressive little dogs, and an older lab told her off. So that stuff there, you're saying that this dog is, tends to be more aggressive with smaller dogs. It had a few bad encounters with small aggressive dogs. Um, and an older lab told her off. That can have a huge impact, man. It really can. Um, Matt goes on to say, really need some help with this one as normally she has a really gentle nature when no other dogs are around which has changed all of a sudden. Um, yeah, so my notes on this, going back to my notes, sounds like you need to be firmer. A car, man, if, if a dog, you'd, like you're saying, this it's getting pretty bad, people are avoiding us on walks, she's like jumping and biting and um, it's getting pretty full on. Definitely firmer, man. A, a calm a commander disapproval, like, no, and walking on is like, a, I'm not going to do the scream again, but 
Like if a dog really arcs up, if it goes past, hackles up and bumping into each other to like, but any barking or opening of mouth towards another dog gets the psycho scream from me and just cut like, they're going to think the world's coming down. <laughs> um, and I'm screaming, I'm check on the long line, I'm stomping on the ground. And and I'm and I'm like I say, it's a bit of follow through too. It's not just you know how I talk about timing of um, pressure and praise. Um, man, with the with the aggression, I'm like, hey, cut it off. And did that's when I do the hey and the stomp, I'm literally trying to turn the dog's head towards me. Like, whoa, what the hell? And then I'm following through with just cut that out, check on the long line, get in behind, sit down. And I'm just like, <laughs> uh, aggression in dogs, man, like zero freaking tolerance. It's, um, and, and like I say, how many people, have their, these dogs marching around like doing it and um, how blasé they can be about it. And they're like laughing, oh, he thinks he's a big dog. And it's like, no, you like how much of an issue that can be for you and other people. And and um, if, if, you know, a little dog snaps at a Labrador while the Labrador's growing up, then that Labrador can end up with this weird complex thing with, little dogs um so that's why i'm so freaking hard on it and um i had it actually just the other day um down taranaki we were down there i was down there shooting ducks and there was this little place where i was taking my dogs for a walk and um it was a rainy day real quiet spot probably hardly ever anyone there and i was walking back out and um i had print and miko and um can't remember what the hell he was. There was two dogs. They were both like farm dogs, and it was either a purebred heading dog. It might have been like a heading dog, beardy cross, bit of a scruffy looking old male dog. And um, man, he I he I seen him coming from twenty odd meters away, and um, he he honestly looked like a mean old farm dog that had been rolling the roost on the station forever. And um, he just comes strutting up the track, straight at, completely ignored me. It was like I didn't even exist. Um, hackles up, stiff as, comes straight up to Print and Miko, and um, bumps straight into Miko, all growly. And like I say, she doesn't, she's not into that shit at all. She'll, she's real snappy straight away, uh, in in a healthy way, in that she's just like, hey, get like, I, like. She doesn't put up with that shit. She's probably got it from me. It's like she, she's not aggressive with other dogs. She's never had other dogs be aggressive with her. So when some, when a when another dog gets weird, she's just like, what the hell is going on here? Not into it at all. And um, if the other dog isn't aggressive and it's over the top, she'll just do like a quick, rap, like snap, jump back, and the other dog will be like, whoa, okay, there's none of that here, and, and calm down. Um, if and if Meek, by the way, if Miko loves playing with dogs, if a dog is normal and not aggressive, um, 
she's the most instantly friendly dog, and she'll they'll be, she'll be doing zoomies and running around like mad straight away. But if another dog is trying to be dominant or aggressive in any way, she's just doesn't have a bar of it. And um, this dog come in super full on. Um, Miko snapped, and the second Miko snapped, the other dog just started like there's that one or two seconds of snapping before they're either going to stop and step back or they're going to properly sink teeth. And um, I, <laughs> I did my big scream. I did my big, hey! And um, they they just sort of stopped and all the dogs like looked up at me and then I just called Miko. Um, got a couple of metres of separation and uh, the owner of that dog was um I think I think that's what freaked me out too and what I thought this doesn't look good was as the older dog was strutting up towards my dog he wasn't even calling him or nothing he was just marching like with his eyes locked on his dog marching up to my dog he was acting like someone whose dog was about to attack someone else's dog he just had this like real blank scared look on his face and just looked like he wanted to get his hands on my dog, on, on his dog. And his dog come up, did the whole snap thing. I screamed, which just stopped it in the moment, and called my dog away. And then he grabbed his dog, and I just called my dog in behind and went to walk past. And, and there was this lady standing there. that I think they were a couple. And I said to her, because um, I'd just done the big, hey! <laughs> And then called my dog and I said to her, um, sorry about that, I just didn't know which way that was going to go for a moment. And it was their dog and she said she was all sort of a bit shaken up and like, oh my, no, I'm sorry, I didn't know which way it was going to go either. Basically like, you know, we thought our dog was going to attack your dog too. <laughs> um, but that's what I'm like with it, man. And um, I haven't had this talk on a podcast before um, and people are way too freaking blase about it I worked with a dog a couple of years ago where it was sort of like how I mentioned at the start of this Q&A where it was the question oh I've got an older dog who's quite good but has a couple of bad habits and I said that sometimes that can actually mean that's like uh, dog owner talking to a dog trainer code for I've got the worst dog imaginable and I'm, if I can't fix it I'm going to have to put him down so I'm trying to I'm hoping that you're a miracle worker and this dog that is like totally freaking psycho I'm hoping you can fix it for me because <laughs> it's a disaster you know Um and I worked with a dog a while ago that they sort of said, oh, you know, she's just a little bit snappy. She never really bites. It's just she's a little bit this and that. And I did some work with this dog. She was really, really dangerous. Um, real dangerous. And um, she, was just a, she was a serious accident waiting to happen. She really was. And, um, you know, like a serious, serious freaking dog fight. People often get bitten in the middle of dog fights and trying to break um, dog fights up and things. And I said to them that she's actually pretty freaking dangerous, man. She really was. And they had a couple of big incidences with her after that. 
and they come when they first come in with that dog, they were so blasé and naive about it, it was nuts. And and it took actually some serious shit to go down for them to realise like and it it can take a while for people to turn that corner and you're like, Man, this dog's actually dangerous and they're like, Oh no, she's not that bad and you be and it's like, well, it's that old saying, like, everything's fine until it's not anymore. And with aggressive dogs, um, when it's not fine anymore, it sucks. Like, um, yeah, when your dog's chewing on another dog or another dog's chewing on your dog. Um, and, man, dog, like, it's unreal the amount of damage that dogs can do in seconds. Like, seconds, man. Um, it's crazy. That's what, and I've seen it all. I've seen all of the worst sides of it, um, and that's why when a dog show starts to show the tiniest amount, um, that's the only time I just flip out and go straight to like the instant scream. Um, <clears throat> so those. Those bad and back to my notes. If it's all happening within five hundred meters, so first note was sounds like you need to be firmer. I think I've covered that. If it's all happening within five hundred meters of home, and it's better elsewhere, stop training within five hundred meters of home and take the dog elsewhere. Like put the dog in the car and take it up the road to a park. If the dog's dominating other dogs. In freedom sessions at dog parks, stop letting the dog off leash in dog parks, and and try and get yourself this whole this whole socializing, like in air quotes, socializing of just letting dogs run free and mad in areas and like bark and dominate each other and all this craziness is not socializing. And so many serious issues come from those type of settings. <clears throat> and if you've got a dog that is starting to, you know, to be aggressive towards other dogs, you need to get away from other dogs for now as much as you can. Put as much training into the dog as you can. Have really good control of it. Like be really freaking firm and consistent with that dog. I would tighten right up on freedom, man. If it's if this dog's at this point and you're still giving it freedom sessions with other dogs and stuff, like that's that ain't good. I'd tighten right up. It'd either be in a kennel or on a long line, basically, or in a small dog-proof section at home, nothing else, like for a, at least for weeks and weeks. And I would just, in any little thing that that dog put a foot wrong, I'd just come down on it like a ton of bricks. I've never seen a dog that's got really good, that has a really good bond and relationship and respect with its handler be really niggly and aggressive. I've never seen a dog that the handler can just go, yeah, print, sit, and the dog will just sit, you know, get in, and the dog will go into heel. Stay there, and the dog will stay. 
and the handler can just do it, just normal talking voice. Here, print. Good boy. Sit there. Stay there. Walk away. You know, the same as with Miko. Miko, come. Sit. Stay. And the dog actually stays. And it's got that nice tone of handling and it's just well trained and a lovely dog. I was going to say, I'm trying to think of a dog that I know that's like that, that can still be aggressive. And the only one, because Fly was very nice like that, like here Fly, listen really well. Um, but she, and she, in public, she was the opposite of interested in other dogs. That that The only time she would be aggressive is when another dog is coming into her space and being too full on, or, and she had that dog fight when I wasn't there, and apparently she went over to that other dog and basically started the fight, but I wasn't there. Um, she never did it when I wasn't around. She completely ignored other dogs while I was there, and the only time she would be aggressive is if another dog come over to her and the aggression was only to get the other dog away from her. It wasn't as if she was see actively seeking it out. But the vast, vast majority of the time, over 99 times out of 100, a, a well-mannered dog that's well-trained and under good control and respects its owner and looks up to it and all of those sorts of things is not aggressive. It's not like annoyingly aggressive, seeking out other dogs, staring at them from a distance, wanting to go over there, wanting to dominate them, like not having these issues. A nice, well-balanced, well-trained dog that you've got a good relationship generally isn't aggressive towards other dogs or people or anything. So, and and usually, not like over 99 times out of 100, aggressive dogs, dogs that are like wankers with other dogs, uh, they don't listen to you. <laughs> It's an overall thing, you know, like that dangerous dog that I was talking about um, that I worked with and, and I told the people when I gave it back, I said, this is a dangerous dog, you've got to be really careful with it. And they went on to have issues with it. Um, really difficult to work with. It had so much, so many really badly, deeply ingrained, it just had never been trained properly and didn't even know what it meant to like listen or have consideration for anything or anyone around it it was just like that dog's mindset and its whole like way of being was so messed up it was just it just had no manners or consideration or nothing for any, it was just like it just lived in this really weird space. It was just everything was like uh, external and like looking out and just like psycho, just constantly hunting, waiting, looking and just looking for something to attack and kill. And um, the the handler, the any the any person around it trying to tell, trying to like call it or stop it. There was just no consideration of that. Um, so what I'm saying is, is like as far as um, 
I don't have a note on this, but if it's all happening within 500 metres of home and it's better elsewhere, stop training within 500 metres of home and take the dog somewhere else more often and train the hell out of it, man. Like, And, and around home and just in general, and all of your training, and you have to tighten right up on dogs like that. Like dogs that are being aggressive like that, it's not always only... Well, it never is. It's not isolated to that time when the dog that dog gets in front of another dog and becomes aggressive. It's the overall picture. And so I just tighten everything up, the whole dog's routine. It would not be on the couch. It would not be like running amok and cruising around like he's awesome. I'd be tightening right up on him. It'd be kennel, crate, training. When I say jump, you say how high. I'd be getting that dog like real tight. Um, I'd limit sessions from other... I'd get it completely away from other dogs and I'd just get all its training and everything real freaking tight and then I'd really carefully put it back into situations where I'm going to start having easy to manage encounters with other dogs and the moment the, that dog even looks like it's thinking about being aggressive I'd be coming down like a ton of bricks and and that's just how like to me it's just Aggression is just a complete non-negotiable. Just it's it's not even remotely in the wheelhouse of anything that's even remotely acceptable, and and that's that's how I treat it, you know. Um, and and I've never had an issue with it with any of my dogs. I've had I've had dogs that could go that way if you manage them the wrong the wrong way. Um, I've also seen older dogs, generally like pit bull crosses type dogs, that have been let go. And like with that dog that I just that I've told you about, um, I said to them, "It doesn't matter what you do with this dog. There's no way that you're ever going to be able to guarantee that it's not going to be aggressive. It's just too far gone." I've seen dogs that are like that are like that, and and you in labs can get there too. Heading dogs can get there as well. They can get real niggly with it. Any dog can, if you let it go. Um, it's just one of the million reasons why training and structure and all of that's so freaking important. It's, like I said, it's extremely rare to have a, an aggression issue with a dog that is really well trained and managed. Um, and if it starts, come down on it like a ton of bricks, man. Um, Matt D Hi Paul I'm off hunting in the capels and can't take my pup I'll be away for 10 days if I put her in one of the kennels is there any major issues that will set her back or any instructions I can give the kennels so they don't overexcite her or spoil her I may be able to keep her at home and arrange a maid or two to feed her, walk her, but it's a big ask. She's 10-month-old, hunt-away cross. Thanks, Matt. 
Um, my notes on this is, yeah, should be fine. I've done it a lot. Never had an issue. The main, excuse me, the main thing to avoid is overexcited play and anything sort of growly or dominating. You know, so that's the, again, like I just covered, it's another sort of um, well-ordered, timed Q&A this, where uh, a lot of these questions often just fold perfectly into one another like that. Um, the main thing is, like, talking about the whole aggression thing um, with the lab. Um the other Matt's lab um, that's the only issue like the dog going to a kennel and being in someone else's care and you not training it for 10 days and all of that doesn't matter at all um, kennels are those commercial style kennels are good because they're not going to be um, you know there's some of these farm stay type ones and stuff that they take out into different areas I don't know what everyone's like but um, you know generally the more commercial type kennels like the ones my dogs have been to they're either in a kennel or they're in like a fully fenced completely dog proof area often like concreted ground and that's about it so there's no the dog can't chase a deer no one's going to be shooting a gun around it and making it gun shy there's, they're not going to be chasing rabbits and possums or pukikos or none of the real big crazy things are there because it's quite a sort of a um sterile environment if you will like um it's just a kennel or a dog proof area the only thing that can happen there and and it's getting i don't want to say it's getting more and more prevalent but it is it's crazy how common it is at like dog daycares and things like that from my experience most sort of commercial kennels that it's just a kennel it's a place for the dog to be while you're not there they're actually pretty full-on about um, they're often more practical, you know. Um, but as far as if a dog's too full on or it's barking in the play area or it's getting aggressive or whatever, they'll just tend to separate and put it back in the kennel, you know, and maybe let it out after on its own or whatever they do. Or that dog probably just stays in the kennel the whole time, um, which is probably a better thing. It's definitely better than having like an aggressive, dominating dog. Um, in with the other dogs while they're having their playtime in the bigger area and that like dominating all the other dogs. That's the only thing to really that can go wrong in one of those places if it's like the ones my dogs have been to, pretty standard, just kennel, play area, that's about it, is either your dog dominating other dogs and so your dog's learning to be a dick or other dogs dominating your dog, and neither one is good because you you don't want your dog learning to be aggressive and dominant, um, and you don't want other dogs being dominant over your dog because that can cause your dog to be dominant and get aggressive too. Um, so that's about the only thing you could worry about. Um, like I say, um, I've never had any issues with my dogs in those types of commercial kennels. And I think, like I say, I think most of them would be pretty full on about it. But if you were going to mention something, that would that would maybe be about it. Um, but otherwise, like I say, I've, I've done it quite a bit with my dogs and never had an issue. It's come up in Q&As before and I've said, um, no, I reckon it's fine putting them in those kennels if you need to go away. Um, 
and you know, and um, a lot of those sort of places and situations, um, a well bred, a, a well trained dog <coughs> that's been kennel trained and crate trained and all of that takes to those situations really well, and um, the people are often quite happy to have them. So um, that's it. That's it for this Q and A. Only a few there. Um, I've broken. I've broken my many times broken records for late Q and As. Um, I want to say I'll do the next one on time, and I will endeavour to. But I say that every time too, and then I just do them later and later. Um, duck shooting got in the way a bit on this one. Um, again, if you want to find out more about the deer dog training blueprint, go to BigGameIndicatingDogs.com. You can check out Big Game Indicating Dogs on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. You can check out my stuff, Paul John Michaels, at Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. If you're watching this podcast on YouTube, you can listen to the audio versions on Spotify and all the other places, Apple, all the, we've got it on all the places that we can get it for um, podcasts. And if you're listening to it on a on an audio version, you can watch the video version on YouTube too, along with a whole bunch of other stuff. All the links are in the description on YouTube. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next time.